Well, if you would, turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 4. And we're going to look at the temptation account in, in Luke. Uh, this is uh, these 13 verses, very important. Uh, every word in these uh, 13 verses has significance, uh, has importance uh, to us. But it's helpful as we, uh, before we jump into it, to remember what, uh, what the question is, uh, what's at stake, uh, what we looked at last week. I left, I left us with some questions last week. And the questions we have, we, we think now, uh, generations later, we think of, uh, we see in the text that there's this new, this new son, uh, who is the son of God, who is the son of man, uh, Jesus, who is the Christ. We saw that in his baptism when he was declared from the voice from heaven, said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then we talked about how Luke went right into this genealogy where he laid out uh, Jesus' ancestry and tied it all the way back to uh, Adam. Jesus is the son of Adam, the son of the first man, himself is the son of God. And so the question before us is, uh, is this Jesus, could he be the one? He's a descendant of King David. Uh, He's an offspring of Abraham. In his baptism, he was declared the Son of God, and through his ancestry, is shown also to be the Son of Man. And so, as we move now to the temptation of Jesus, the question that's presented to us is, will this Son succeed where the others have failed? Will this Son treasure wisdom and serve only the Lord? Uh, Will this Son, uh, rather than murmuring against God in the wilderness, will he pass the test? Will the son succeed in submitting to the word of God and trusting in God's commands, not succumbing to the temptations of the serpent? So those are the questions uh, that Luke uh, presents to us as we move now into this temptation of, of Jesus. And as we approach this section, let's remember those questions, have those in our minds as, as we see how, how Jesus will, will fare in the wilderness. Uh, But uh, before we jump into the text and begin our morning, let's pray uh, for God's blessing on this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for another another Lord's Day uh, where you have gathered us to worship you. Uh, Please be with us now. Bless us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, The reading and uh, uh, the teaching of your word uh, may be efficacious to us. Uh, May we seek to uh, serve you and obey you as, as you've given us this wonderful, perfect example of the perfect obedience of Christ. Uh, so we look to him in all things, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Luke chapter 4 begins, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted uh, by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, uh, he was hungry, those, those first two verses. So notice right away, just the description. All right, I have to be very careful not to touch it uh, too much, apparently. Okay, so Jesus was, uh, he was he, there's a, a few different things that are described of Jesus here. So Jesus was, he was full of the Spirit. This is very important. Uh, he was uh, anointed by the Spirit. Uh, he was... Again, he, he didn't receive the Spirit uh, at that moment, but was conceived um, by the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit by, uh, from a young age. He was conceived uh, by the Spirit. Um, but in this moment, he was anointed for his mission and his task. And, and as we go through Luke, we'll see how uh, the Spirit had empowered Jesus to fulfill uh, his mission that he was given. Uh, and so we see that he is full of the Holy Spirit as he now goes uh, into the wilderness we also see he was, he was full of the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. And notice he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So he was not led into the wilderness by the Spirit, but he was led in the wilderness. And the, the, the significance is that the Spirit was with him during this time. So the Spirit didn't uh, drive him up to the wilderness and dropped him off and said, see you, see you later in 40 days. But he was with him uh, throughout his time in the wilderness, was empowered by the Spirit. And uh, through this Spirit empowerment, uh, Jesus succeeds in his his mission. And we see he was 40 days without food. 
And so he's, he's in the wilderness uh, for 40 days, and we can see the connections that are being made here, uh, the connections back to uh, Israel. And remember, Israel is described as, as a son of God. Uh, and Hosea, the prophet, uh, says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And now we know, in, in hindsight, looking back, that uh, the, that prophecy was about this specific son of God, uh, Jesus himself. He's the true Israel. But again, the connection being made there is that this Jesus is now um, uh, uh, in the place of Israel, uh, Israel wandering through 40 years, Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness, and being tempted, and as we see, we'll go through, being tempted in very similar ways to uh, Israel in the wilderness. So he spends 40 days uh, uh, without food. Uh, again, what's interesting is, is this uh, also connects to other significant figures uh, in Old Testament uh, history. Uh, Moses uh, went up on the mountain and received the, the tablets of the law of God and spent 40 days uh, without food and water uh, up there, as it said. He does that, that twice, uh, in fact. And so we can see Jesus now, uh, uh, a new and, and better Moses, uh, doing what, what Moses had done, that great prophet, and the same prophet who would say that there would be a prophet that would come after me. He tells the people of Israel in Deuteronomy uh, that they should await for a prophet to come, one who would come after me, who would be like me. And we see uh, that even in the beginning of the Gospel of John when uh, when Jesus comes on the scene, and uh, John the Baptist is there as well, and people are asking, uh, could this be the one? Are you the, are you the prophet? So they're asking, is this the prophet that Moses uh, prophesied about? Is this the one that we've been waiting for? So uh, in this way, uh, Jesus is being connected uh, directly back to Moses. Uh, Elijah also, uh, that great Old Testament prophet, uh, he's uh, fleeing, and it's an interesting story, he's, he's fleeing from uh, Jezebel, and he's uh, told to make the journey uh, to Mount Horeb, uh, which is uh, Mount Sinai, and that, uh, he's told that he's to make that journey in 40 days, and uh, he's given food to eat at the beginning of that journey, and that food sustains him uh, those 40 days. And so, again, Jesus is connecting, or he, he's being connected to these, these great Old Testament prophets of this, of this journey where he's going to have to rely on uh, the sustenance of, of his father as opposed to any, any uh, physical food. And so uh, we get now to uh, the, the, the point where he is um, going to experience some of the fiercest uh, temptation. Uh, he's, he's um, notice he's in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's being tempted uh, by the devil. So it's not uh, just at the, the end of these 40 days, but it's, it's throughout this whole period uh, of time Jesus is, is being tempted. But at the end, uh, we're told that uh, Satan makes his uh, fiercest uh, attack against Jesus. We're, and we're told that this happens um, when they were ended in verse 2. So they're at the, the end of these 40 days, <laughs> and then we're told that he was hungry, which is a bit of an understatement. Uh, if we can imagine just how hungry uh, we, we might be, uh, and, and just consider, again, Jesus, uh, fully man. I don't know how long, if any of us here have done a, a, a fast or anything like that, but for 40 days without food, uh, and you can just imagine and try to put yourselves in those shoes and consider the immense uh, craving uh, for food. Uh, he'd be ravaged with hunger. Uh, that might have even killed a lesser man, uh, but certainly the sight of a, a crumb of bread would have, would have broken uh, a weaker man's resolve, and yet here we have uh, this, uh, this Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, uh, who, would, who would withstand this, this temptation. But at no other point in his life uh, would Jesus have been as close to death as he would have been here except at the end, at his crucifixion. But he was, he was without food, starving, uh, absolutely famished. And it's at this point that the devil now uh, begins to, to uh, very strongly uh, attack him. And so let's, uh, we're going to work through each of these three temptations in order and consider them, and then at the end we'll, we'll consider them as a whole and, and what they, uh, the implications uh, they have uh, for us. So it's at the end of these 40 days, Jesus is as hungry as he uh, could possibly be. 
And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And so notice, notice how uh, the devil frames this temptation. He says, If you are the Son of God. Well, where did we learn that Jesus is the Son of God? Or where was it, where was it proclaimed uh, to the world and declared to the world? It, w- it was at his baptism. And Jesus himself heard those words, and, and, and those are the words of his Father. You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. And so we, we see that Satan is, is uh, striking at the very words of God. Did God really say? So he's, he's, uh, this has been his, uh, his M.O. from the very beginning. <laughs> This has been his, his, his trick. Did God really say, if you are the Son of God, if that's true, then you can take the stone and, and turn it into bread. Why wouldn't you just, you ha- you're hungry and you're able to fix it. So, so why wouldn't you just uh, whip up a little snack for yourself? And so we can see uh, the devil, he's, he's attacking uh, Jesus at, at the weakest moment. Uh, can you imagine? You uh, and we all, we all have experienced, we've all uh, done certain diets before or, or done anything like that, how, how difficult those can be and how simple it would be for any of us just to uh, make a, a, a quick snack for ourselves or, or how easy it would have been for, for Jesus uh, to, even on that very first day, that first afternoon in the hot desert sun, think to himself, you know what, I'm, I'm getting a little hungry. I might just uh, <laughs> grab a little pebble here, a little stone uh, turn it into a nice uh, uh, French loaf or, or something uh, like that. It would have been easy for him to do. It would have been possible for him to do. But it's not what the Father's will for him was. But the Father's will was that he would, he would uh, suffer, that he would be stricken and smitten uh, for, the, uh, uh, for the sins of his people, that he would suffer in these ways, that he might identify with uh, sinners and with, with all humanity and their weakness. And so uh, he's, he's attacked at his weakest moment, and the devil attacks uh, God's word. Like we already mentioned, this is God's spoken word. You are my beloved son, and with you I'm, I am well pleased. And so Jesus' temptation is, well, if you are the son of God, He's, he's making a claim. He's, he's attacking the very word of God, that word that was spoken. And so I love this, this quote, that one way or another, all of Satan's attacks strike at God's word. Satan was, was tempting Jesus to be impatient and to get ahead of God's timetable by meeting his own needs in his own way rather than waiting for God, uh, for God to provide. And so we see Jesus was the Son of God. He was able, and this is another thing we'll see is going through as well, that there's, there's an element of truth in all of these things. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. He has that ability as the Son of God, as, as the one through whom all things were created. He has, he has command over his creation. He was the Son of God, but he was also the Son of Man, and it was the Father's will that he would suffer as the Son of Man. And so Jesus answers him. And we see uh, that Jesus uses God's word in, in his response. And he, he quotes from Deuteronomy 8, uh, verse 3, um, <clears throat> that man should not live by bread alone. And uh, he, uh, Luke doesn't record the full uh, quote. Uh, Matthew uh, quotes from it uh, fully. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so in quoting from the scripture, Jesus is identifying himself as, as a human being. He lives according to God's will and according to God's word. It was God's spoken word at that moment of baptism where he proclaimed and he spoke that, uh, this is, that he is God's beloved son. And it was God's will that he would be brought into the wilderness. God brought him, led him by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And he was going to stay in the wilderness as long as his father kept him there. And that was the son's resolve, uh, that he would uh, be obedient to the father in all that he commanded, and that thy will be done and not his own. So he was going to stay in Israel, uh, or he was going to stay in the wilderness as long as his father kept him there, unlike Israel, 
uh, who uh, grumbled uh, almost immediately. And uh, we can see some parallels there when, when uh, Moses is brought up uh, to the mountaintop and stays, with, uh, stays up there for 40 days and 40 nights, we're told. It's during that time that Israel grew impatient, and they, they demanded a golden calf that they might worship. Uh, and so we see uh, just how quickly they uh, are prone to idolatry and to uh, wandering from the faith. But Jesus, uh, his resolve is, is sure. He did not grumble in the wilderness. He did not doubt uh, his father's goodness. And we see, unlike Abraham uh, and, and Sarah, uh, with, uh, excuse me, with, uh, with Hagar, you know, they, they grew impatient uh, of, of waiting for God's promise, for the promise of the son, and they took it upon themselves. And that's always one of the dangers that we have, is that we can grow impatient with God's timeline and whatever, uh, whatever area of life we're in, whatever's going on in our lives, we can grow impatient with God and we can, uh, we can say, well, I'm going to take this into my own hands. And uh, that, that never works out well for God's people. But rather, in, in Jesus, in his example, unlike Israel, unlike Abraham, he was, he was patient and he placed himself willingly and lovingly in the Father's care and in his providence, uh, waiting upon him. And unlike the first Adam, uh, he believed in God's word fully. He did not consider the words of the serpent. It's like, well, you make a good point. Maybe I should uh, grab something to eat for myself. But he says, no, my, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. So another uh, quote uh, is from uh, Philip Ryken. He says, Jesus was deeply dependent on God and his word throughout his earthly ministry. No physical craving ever led him away from the path of obedience. He did not gratify his own desires, but subordinated his needs to the will of his Father. He performs many miracles for the benefit of others, but he never abused his divine power by using it in the service of his own human needs. And so we see that clearly then in this, this first temptation uh, to uh, provide for himself, to gratify his, uh, his own desires, uh, Jesus' uh, resolute in following the Lord's commands, his Father's uh, commands and his will. Well, that brings us to the second temptation, this temptation uh, to uh, receive the glory that he was due uh, to receive his crown as a king without going through the cross uh, and, uh, and uh, doing so through uh, idolatry. And so again, we see uh, the devil's not, uh, he doesn't give up <laughs> after one uh, rejection, so he tries again. And so uh, we're warned by, by his persistence here. And the devil took him up and he showed him Uh, It says, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So, uh, so what exactly did Jesus see? That's a that's always an interesting interesting question. Uh, He was taken up. Uh, and uh, Luke just says he was taken up. Uh, Matthew's gospel says he's taken up to a very high mountain, uh, somewhere with a good vantage point, and was shown all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Uh, Luke adds that he was done this in a, in a moment of time. So what exactly does that mean? Uh, I don't think we're exactly sure what it means, uh, but certainly he was shown the kingdoms of that age and their glory, and it's possible he was shown uh, the, the kingdoms throughout time as well. From the very beginning of times, uh, all the, the kingdoms and the Roman Empire and its vast glory of, of Caesar, uh, Tiberius at that moment in time, and up even until now. Could you imagine the, 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 the power of the American uh, Empire and the, the, the countries and the kingdoms of today? So it's possible he saw all these things, the mighty kingdoms, past, present, and future. Uh, but but uh, no matter what it is, uh, he was... He was um, Presumably, given this offer, uh, that uh, these would all be his if only he would he would kneel uh, himself and and worship, uh, bow down, worship uh, the devil. And so the other question is that did the devil, did Satan even have the authority to do this? <laughs> and and again, we we see these uh, partial truths that that the devil uh, will will uh, will utilize at times. 
So the first partial truth is that, uh, in a sense, uh, yes, he's called the ruler of the world uh, in some places, and so uh, he does have some authority here, but even this is only by the permission of the sovereign over all things. And, uh, and it was only ever a temporary uh, authority. And, and, uh, um, and so even, even the devil himself is a subject uh, to this, this sovereign, to, uh, to the Lord. So he's posturing himself as much more powerful than, than he really is. And, and he is uh, the father of lies. And so he, he's, he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. But another partial truth to this is, is that Jesus is the rightful uh, king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, so he is, he is the rightful uh, uh, king over all these kingdoms. And in Psalm, Psalm 2, uh, where we, we have uh, the language that, that God speaks to his son. He, uh, in Psalm 2, he says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the, the ends of the earth uh, your possession. Uh, we know that all things were made through him and for him uh, in, in uh, Colossians and the preeminence of Christ, that, that he is uh, the, the, the creator and the ruler and sustainer of all things. So all of these things belong to him. And so uh, the question becomes not uh, if, if he is the rightful king of kings, but the question is, is how is he going to receive uh, the kingdom? Is he going to receive them uh, through uh, his father's uh, way, uh, through the will of the father, or through through this uh, this uh, uh, through the the way of the devil? Was he going to uh, skip the cross, in other words, uh, or uh, bypass uh, Calvary? It, it certainly seems, uh, at least that's the temptation that's put before him. Is is uh, all these things? I'll I'll give them to you. And you don't have to go through all this pain. You don't have to go through all this, uh, this suffering. And you don't have to go through the torture and the torment and the excruciating pain. And again, that's where you get the word uh, excruciating from, from, from the word for crucifixion and the cross. It's excruciating pain. Uh, the cross was such a painful event that we, we have a, a term from that to describe pain that is so intense and so, so horrible. And so Satan is saying, you, you don't have to do any of that. Uh, here's all the kingdoms of the world. If you would just bow down to me and worship me. And I'm reminded of, of those um, moments in uh, The Lord of the Rings where uh, they're, they're debating uh, what they're going to do with the ring. And they want to, uh, they talk about they need to destroy it, but there's others that think, oh, maybe we can, we, maybe we can use this ring for our own good. A Boromir uh, thinking uh, that way. Uh, but even, uh, even Frodo at the beginning, he, he, he doesn't want to carry this burden, so he offers it to Gandalf uh, to take for uh, to Gandalf to take, and Gandalf wisely refuses it, and says, "No, with this ring there would be power too great and too mighty uh, for anyone to bear. It would do horrible things with me." And again, we see that, uh, and I won't talk too much more about Lord of the Rings, but we see that in uh, uh, when they're, um, or is it in, is it in Rivendell with Galadriel? And, uh, and Frodo, again, uh, willingly offers her the ring, and, and she does go through a serious uh, temptation uh, to whether or not to accept this ring, but again, she, she resists. She can see, has enough wisdom to see that uh, there is nothing, uh, nothing good will come out of, of submitting oneself to evil. Even with the best of intentions, it would still be corrupting in its nature. And so she wisely rejects it. And then afterwards, she says, I've, I've passed the test. And so in, in some way, in a similar way, uh, Jesus could have, could have uh, received all this power, all this glory, but at what cost? At a cost of, of absolute uh, rejection of the Father, of the sin of idolatry, of of, of destroying everything that he was sent uh, to accomplish. In essence, then, he, uh, Satan would have become, it's, it's, it's hard for us to even, even think about uh, or to even contemplate or imagine, but uh, if Jesus was to kneel and worship Satan, Satan would become Jesus' Lord. And uh, we know that he was a liar from the very beginning, and this is what he wanted from the very beginning, to be equal with God. And so he's tempting this, now the Son of God, the Son of Man, uh, incarnate, uh, and, and uh, doing his best to, to twist him and to uh, get him to uh, succumb to his temptation uh, uh, in a desperate attempt out of the bitterness of, of uh, the devil's own, own soul uh, to become uh, like God. 
But again, we see that Jesus resists the temptation to idolatry. And he quotes from Scripture again, this time from uh, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 13. And he says, No, but it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So he quotes from Scripture again. He would do nothing apart from his Father's will, and he would seek no other uh, glory except uh, his Father's glory. So again, it's never uh, justified. Uh, in that sense, the ends do not justify the means. We cannot worship uh, any other or serve any other God or uh, commit adultery, no, uh, uh, idolatry, uh, no matter uh, what the, the end result might be. Uh, but we, we must seek God's glory above all things. And so that uh, leads now to this third temptation. And again, the, uh, Satan, the devil, he, he's crafty. He's the crafty serpent that he is, he's beginning to notice uh, Jesus' uh, defense pattern of uh, quoting from Scripture. And so he thinks to himself and hatches a plan for this third temptation. And uh, again, we, it wasn't really a new plan. This was a strategy from the beginning. But he, he now uh, uh, uses Scripture and takes Scripture and twists it uh, for his own purposes. So in a way, he's, he's noticing uh, Jesus' trend. He's saying, look, I know, I know you know the Scriptures really well. Well, here's, here's some Scripture for you. What do you think of this? And so he quotes uh, from Psalm 91. He says, if you are the Son of God, again, that, that if, that, that throwing doubt on the, uh, onto uh, that, uh, that reality. He says, throw yourself down from here, uh, for it is written. Uh, so taking them up to uh, Jerusalem uh, and to the temple there. Uh, so they're up there on top of the temple. If, throw yourself down from here, he says, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against uh, a stone. And so they're, they're standing on, on top of the temple and looking down. And uh, Jesus was a human. Uh, so what happens to humans when they fall from really high heights and hit the ground? Yeah, they, they, they go splat. That's what happens to humans uh, that fall. And so this was a, this was a real uh, scenario that they're facing. Uh, Satan knew this, Jesus knew this, but, but Satan wanted to cast doubt in Jesus' mind. Was Jesus really the Son of God? Was, was the words that God the Father had spoken to him in the baptism, were, were, those, were those true? Was he well pleased with him? Was he really the Son of God? Well, there's an easy way to find out. It's like, oh, you, you believe you're the Son of God? Well, prove it. Prove it to yourself, prove it to, to me, and prove it to everybody there. Uh, so, um, you know, this, this would have been uh, uh, Jesus falling from the temple and landing and without being harmed at all, that would have been uh, a superhero kind of entrance. It would have proven beyond a doubt his, his divinity. Uh, he wouldn't have been just a, a normal uh, uh, a human, but he would have been a superhuman at that point. Uh, he, would have, he would have demonstrated uh, that he was the Son of God. Uh, but uh, Jesus uh, was not content uh, to do it that way. He, he resisted uh, this, this temptation, again, to to skip over uh, 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 the, the suffering that his father had laid out for him uh, to accomplish and to do. And so what we see beautifully is that Jesus uses Scripture to interpret Scripture. Because again, it's, uh, Satan is using partial truths. It is very true uh, what's said in Psalm 91. But it's also true... Jesus says that you shall not put the Lord your God uh, to the test. And he's quoting again from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so uh, if Jesus had jumped, uh, presumably, uh, and again I'm uh, quoting here from Philip Ryken, uh, presumably the Father would have been compelled to save him, but that would have, would have inverted the proper order of things. The Son had come to do his Father's will and not the other way around. And I like the way another commentator put it. He said, to jump off the temple would have been to take the initiative and force God into a situation where he would have no choice but to back up the action in order to avert disaster or else to be accused of unfaithfulness if he did not. That would have been to reverse the role of man and God and the Son and Father. 
So this is not the way uh, that they had, um, Father had, had planned and the, the will he set out for his son to accomplish. Uh, because Jesus would put himself in harm's way. Uh, he would put himself into the hands of the Father, but that was going to be all in accordance to the Father's will, that the Son of Man might suffer in accordance to uh, what the Father had laid out for him to do. And so those are the, the three uh, temptations that uh, Satan attacks Jesus with in the wilderness. And we see that this, this now, we, we see the answer to that question, that this, this Son of Man, this Son of God, he succeeded uh, where the others have failed. And in verse 13 it says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, uh, he departed from him until an opportune time. And uh, there's some foreshadowing to uh, the ends, uh, end of Luke's uh, gospel, uh, where we're told that uh, Satan will enter into Judas, uh, he, Jesus will be betrayed, and uh, Jesus will again be tempted at the end of his life as, as the, the cup of God's wrath nears. So those are the temptations, uh, just as an overview. Um, but what, what exactly do we mean, or what are some other takeaways that we have uh, from them? And one way uh, that's helpful for us to think about it is, is uh, similar to uh, the genealogy, genealogies we looked at last week. Uh, Matthew and Luke differ a little bit uh, in their order of these temptations. And so I wanted to just talk about this briefly, uh, because there's some significance to, uh, to the order that will help us to understand uh, uh, what's, uh, what both authors um, are, are doing here. And so uh, if we can uh, summarize these temptations, uh, these three temptations in this way. So in Matthew and Luke, they each have the same three, just in a different order. So there's the, the temptation of the stone to become bread and tempting Jesus with his cravings. Uh, then there's the temptation of, of uh, the devil showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and this temptation to idolatry and to worshiping uh, the devil. And then we have this uh, temptation at the temple of Jerusalem and of testing uh, God. And so Matthew uh, switches the order of the last two. and goes from bread and craving to Jerusalem uh, and the testing and then to kingdoms and idolatry. And so he ends with that, that temptation of, of uh, seeing all the kings of the earth and tempting Jesus to bow down and to serve the devil. And uh, uh, Jesus uh, uh, resists that temptation and the, and the devil uh, flees at that moment. And so in this way, uh, Matthew's concluding with the emphasis on worshiping and serving God alone, and it connects to the end of Matthew's gospel. And so if you'd flip over to the end of Matthew's gospel, in his temptation, Jesus uh, says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And then we go to the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And we're told, Now the disciples, the eleven disciples, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. But we see now they're, they're worshipping God. God alone you shall worship. God alone you shall serve. And now the disciples are worshipping God. They're worshipping the Lord. And Jesus says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So notice now the reversal of what that temptation was in the wilderness. The devil offers Jesus all the earthly kingdoms of the world, but Jesus resists that knowing that he has a greater uh, glory in mind. In contrast to the devil's temptation for all earthly kingdoms, Jesus receives, receives all authority in heaven and on earth. And so we see uh, in Matthew's gospel, by, by uh, concluding with this temptation, he's, he's anticipating this, this final uh, commission from the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, who has now received all authority, received dominion over everything, not just on earth, but in heaven as well. And now he's, he's sending his disciples out to uh, fulfill the mission that he's uh, sending them on, to, to go and to baptize and make disciples of all nations. Uh, in contrast, then, we see that Luke ends with uh, the Jerusalem uh, uh, temptation. 
and with with uh, this this putting putting the Lord uh, the God to the test. And he concludes with Jerusalem because uh, this follows along uh, Luke's uh, outline of the gospel. If you remember uh, from the beginning of this class, we talked about uh, how we could outline uh, Luke's gospel, and the major section in Luke's gospel uh, from uh, chapters nine to nineteen is what we call Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And so, uh, starting next week, we'll begin with Jesus' ministry in Galilee uh, in, chapter, in the second half of chapter 4. But after that is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, knowing what awaits him there, knowing uh, the pain and the suffering and the cup of wrath that he will bear for his people. Yet he sets his face and he journeys to Jerusalem. And while in Jerusalem, again, he's tempted and so if you would, uh, flip over now to Luke chapter um, uh, 22, and we'll look ahead a little bit here. And we see that he gets to Jerusalem, and now he's tempted again on the, the eve of his, his betrayal and his death, and he prays, if possible, that he would not die. And uh, chapter 22, verse 42 says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. We see he, like any any one of us, it would be uh, so uh, difficult uh, and and uh, hard to accept this this uh, kind of of of, of uh, pain and wrath and suffering that he was laid before him. And so Jesus truly does and uh, prays to his Father, "Remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours uh, be done." And we're told that there's an angel who appeared and strengthened him. But being in agony, literally, Jesus is at the point of blood and sweat and tears uh, in this moment of uh, this, this final agonizing moment of, of, of temptation. Lord, anything else, if possible, would you remove this cup from me? But nevertheless, not my will, yours uh, be done. And so we see uh, uh, Jesus' ministry then begins uh, with uh, this temptation to, uh, to, uh, to take a shortcut around uh, and past this suffering and this wrath. So it begins with this temptation and it ends uh, with temptation as well. It also connects... Uh, uh, Paul connects this um, temptation to, uh, or the order of this temptation to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't know if we'll have uh, time to get to that, uh, so I might skip over that. Um, But if you read through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and uh, look at those uh, verses 6 through 13, you'll see how, again, uh, Israel goes through each of these temptations of of uh, um, uh, Paul says that uh, they desired evil. That verb desire is the word for craving. They, they craved evil in the form of, of craving food and, and uh, wishing that they, would go, they could be brought back to Egypt where they had delicious food. Uh, and, and so, um, again, we see that they had craved uh, bread. They have craved evil, the same t- first temptation that Jesus resists. Uh, Paul talks about the temptation to idolatry and referring to the golden calf, and so the same idolatry that, that Jesus uh, resisted in his temptation, the second temptation, and the third temptation, uh, testing God and, and murmuring against him and, and presuming upon God's goodness. Uh, again, all these things, we see how Jesus is the, he's the true Israel. He's the one who uh, succeeds where all others uh, have failed. Uh, the, the, the final temptation... Uh, though is is interesting um, in in first Corinthians chapter ten, Paul talks about and and brings to mind that episode in in uh, the book of numbers where because of the people's uh, uh, they're, they're grumbling and they're testing and presuming upon God's grace. God sends fiery serpents into their midst. And it's in that moment that Moses makes uh, a bronze serpent and raises it up. 
And all who, uh, uh, if, if anyone is, is bit by the serpent, he was supposed to look at the bronze serpent and he would live. And in John chapter 3, Jesus makes the connection clear uh, where he says, uh, As Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so uh, all this ties together because Luke, is, he's making this, this temptation the final one because Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he's going to be lifted up on the cross for the redemption of his people. And so we see uh, that he is uh, uh, this, this, uh, this bronze serpent uh, typified uh, by Moses. He is the one who is, is raised up on behalf of his people, uh, and, um, and so he's, he's going to Jerusalem uh, to accomplish that. Well, um, let's consider briefly then just what, what we can take away, some practical things we can take away from Jesus's example. So we see that we didn't go through First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, but but he he concludes this part of that chapter with with uh, phrases like this: that no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. And we'll look at this more in a bit. But uh, Jesus is fully man, and we have to affirm that. And Jesus suffered in the ways that we suffer, and and uh, because of that. Uh, he can he can identify and he can help us and and assist us in our weakness. But but no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And so Paul will go on to say, uh, therefore, uh, God provides the way out of every temptation. Now it's it's true in our case that we do not always uh, uh, take um, take uh, advantage of those opportunities that the Lord gives us in our weakness. But nonetheless, he he provides for us in those moments of temptation. And we're told uh, in James chapter 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, just as he fled from Jesus and, and waited until an opportune time, uh, the devil, will, uh, we're told, will flee from us as we uh, resist temptation. Well, how do we resist temptation? In what way uh, can we, um, can we uh, resist the devil, resist temptation? Uh, we ought not to be surprised at temptation. That's, that's one thing. Uh, Jesus was attacked in, when he was at uh, his weakest, and when he was he was without food for forty days, and and uh, um, and so we should not be surprised that we'll be tempted in, in areas of our weakness, and we we need to recognize uh, what those are, and uh, and be proactive and not always reactive. So we want to be uh, proactive in that sense, but also to remember that it's God's word that is our our uh, our only and our main weapon against the devil and against his temptations, that we must uh, treasure uh, God's word in our hearts, that we might not sin against him, uh, Psalm 119. Uh, the temptation from the very beginning was to not take God at his word. That was the temptation and the sin of Adam, that he did not believe uh, in God's, God's word. And Eve, uh, that she did not believe, uh, did God really say? And so um, we need to remember the failure of our uh, first uh, parents, but uh, remember the, the victory that we have in the last Adam who came and who resisted temptation. And the way he did that, again, he had treasured uh, God's word in his heart, uh, and he had it uh, able to recollect it uh, at a moment's notice, and, he, and it was so ingrained in him, and, and he... Uh, he uh, he knew it. He was able to uh, bring it to mind, and uh, uh, he he uh, he lived in God's word, and he believed God's word. But uh, more than that, more than just the practical application, though, though that is very important, the main point of this passage. Again, we've already talked about this, but just make sure we stress it: is that Jesus did succeed where others have failed, and on account of his perfect obedience. He's able to be the spotless, uh, unblemished lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so that's the main point. And uh, because of this, uh, uh, we do not need to face temptation alone, uh, but we face temptation with God in us. God, uh, in, in Christ, he stood uh, in uh, the baptism for the repentance of sins uh, though he did not need to repent of any sins, he stood in that baptism in solidarity with sinners like us. And because of that, uh, we now stand with him in his victory. His victory over sin and over temptation and over death. 
And so when we are tempted to sin, uh, when we are tempted to doubt God's word, all we have to say is, is no, because I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood is fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil. And so it preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that he works all things for my good. So we, we belong to, to Jesus Christ, and, and he identifies uh, with us. And so we see this in, um, in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 4, and I'd like to look at those uh, real quickly. Uh, so if you would, flip over to uh, Hebrews So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, beginning in verse 14, let me read this section for us. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of, uh, service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so we see these two amazing, beautiful truths from this passage that Jesus was was made uh, like us, like his brothers. So he, he's identifying himself with us here. He's made like us. He's, he's a fully man like us. He shares what it means to be a human. Uh, he really did grow hungry and suffered in that way. He bled and he died. He was made like us. Uh, and since he himself suffered when tempted, he went through the suffering, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And if we jump over a couple uh, to the next page, chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 14, uh, he again says, Since then we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so notice, where do we find our help and where do we find our strength in the midst of our weakness and in our temptation and in our suffering? Is that we find it at the throne of grace. But how do we have access to this throne of grace? Well, it's through the blood of Christ. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, he makes that clear. It's because of the blood of Christ shed for us and that we are cleansed and we're washed, that we're made righteous uh, through the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. We now have access uh, to the throne room of grace, uh, to the throne of God. And we can go there in our prayers and we, uh, and we seek uh, the Lord and we can approach him. And he can give us uh, strength uh, in, our, in our weakness, knowing that we have already uh, achieved and received the victory on account of our union with Christ, on account of what he has done for us and his perfect obedience on our behalf and has uh, earned uh, the victory for us. And so we can rest uh, secure uh, in that. And so I have one uh, more uh, quote uh, here for us that I think really helps to, to tie all this together, uh, the temptation and what it means, uh, what it meant, uh, uh, what it accomplished, uh, what it means for us now uh, uh, living uh, in light of uh, that reality. Uh, so this is from, uh, from Herman Bovink. And he says, But the temptation in the desert concerned the plan of his, of Jesus' public work. After the baptism, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and it was the Spirit who led him up to the desert to be tempted of the devil. Jesus was now fully and very clearly aware of the fact that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, and that he was in command of divine powers. But what kind of use was he now going to make of them, of those, of those powers? Would he apply them in order selfishly to supply his own need? 
or by, ne- or by means of bowing the knee to an earthly power to obtain an earthly kingdom, or again, by way of dramatic signs and wonders to win the people. So you see, he, he goes through each of those three temptations that Jesus faced. So is Jesus going to do these things? The tempter tries him on all three of the points, but Jesus remains firm on all counts. He clings fixedly to the word of God, and by means of that word, he wards off all the temptations. He subjects himself to the will and the way of the Father, establishes himself in his obedience, and sanctifies himself as a sacrifice unto God. Hence, he knows from his own experience not only what it is to be tempted and can pity us in our weaknesses, but because he did not, like Adam, succumb to temptation, he can also help those who are tempted. So Jesus knows what, it, what it's like to be tempted, yet he was without sin in order that he might become a great high priest who, sacrifi- who, who offers the sacrifice of his own body and his own perfect obedience on the cross uh, to the Father on our behalf. He pleads our case as our advocate with the Father, and uh, we have salvation in him and through him alone, uh, through his uh, precious blood. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And uh, in, this, in this then uh, episode or account of his temptation in the wilderness, he proves himself to be uh, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who will do the will of his Father, who, who has succeeded where the others have failed. And now he's ready to begin his, his public ministry, uh, which we will uh, look at uh, next week. Um, well, that's what I had. Uh, I talked quite a bit this morning. Are there any, uh, any questions or anything as we, as we uh, leave here this morning uh, that uh, would be helpful? Yeah, I yeah. Just talking about Jesus's humanity, uh, and and again, you're exactly right that uh, he responds uh, in in human obedience, and it's so important that we stress uh, both of those realities. And Jesus was fully God and fully man, and uh, that is that is a really interesting question uh, that you you mentioned there and talked about a bit the the possibility of of Jesus's uh, uh, or his ability to sin. And it's one of those things that I, I wrestled with a lot this week and have gone back and forth. And so I'd, maybe we could talk about it more next week. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable uh, bringing that up uh, this morning uh, just because I'm unsure of, of where I might uh, land on that debate because there is a lot of uh, disagreement on, on both sides of Jesus' impeccability that he was unable to sin uh, due to his divine uh, nature or his, his peccability in the sense that uh, he was able to sin uh, but, of course, um, both uh, uh, asserting and, and agreeing that uh, he did not in any way. Uh, so that is an interesting, uh, interesting debate. Um, and again, he, he did uh, suffer and was tempted uh, in, in, in all ways and in respect, uh, except um, uh, from the, the sinful inward desires that we have. He did not share that as a perfect uh, uh, human being uh, uh, conceived uh, without sin. And so we want to make all those distinctions um, as well. Um, but, uh, well, now that I opened up a can of worms, <laughs> I'll dismiss you all. And we could talk about more of that uh, maybe next week and going forward. But thank you for your, uh, your attentiveness this morning. You're dismissed. <laughs>